going to invite the Haiti team to come on up. This is a big week. We have a, a group that will be leaving uh, for Haiti. And uh, Karen's going to share an announcement. And then uh, if the rest of the team would come up too, that'd be great. Um, after Karen shares her announcement, because we're going to have an opportunity to pray for the whole group together. All right. Where's everybody? <laughs> well, there, there's 11 of us going. Move over this way. A couple of my friends are not here this morning, but uh, five new people and um, about six returnees. And it's hard to believe after nine months of uh, planning that um, here it is. We're here uh, three days away, four days away from going to Haiti. I can hardly, hardly believe it. I want to thank all the congregation for supporting our fundraising efforts. It's been so awesome, especially the Sunday school kids who are they in this room, but they raised $800 for us. And um, with that, we, were, we have six suitcases of extra supplies and donated supplies that we're taking along. So um, we bought stethoscopes. We bought um, for medical supplies, stethoscopes, thermometers, preemie clothes. Um, we bought uh, VBS supplies. Uh, Norm was able to purchase some Haitian and Creole uh, Bibles and tracts. So a lot of things that we were able to, to get and a lot of things that we will need the money for too when we're over there. And so I just want to share with you a couple of things as I was planning this trip. In June, our trip was kind of in jeopardy. Um, it was at that time that, the, as you know, Haiti is in a lot of political turmoil. And at that time, um, the level for the travel advisory was raised to a level four. So that means do not travel. It's usually a level three, which means uh, travel not advised. So it was, it was a level four in June. And so my heart was like, oh man, should we even go? What should I do? I let all the team members know it's a level four. No one on the team said, I'm not gonna go, which was amazing to me. Everyone was still on board. I said, you can cancel the trip, just let me know. No one did. And so, and then I just wanted to share with you a verse that the Lord gave me just at that time. I was reading through some Psalms, and this is from Psalms 112. And I just wanted to share these verses with you, which just was a confirmation to me Go ahead, you're going to be fine. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely. Surely he will never be shaken. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. And so I read that verse just in that 24 hours, 48 hours, we were trying to decide whether or not we should go on this trip. I read those verses, and I'm like, okay. We're gonna, we're gonna be okay. So, so the trip is moving forward. With that being said, um, there is still a lot of political turmoil in Haiti. Um, it is not settled at all. And um, I just wanted to read um, just quickly. This is a post that was put on a blog by Jennifer Williams. She runs the Haiti Home for Hope. It's an orphanage in Haiti. Um, we hope to get to go visit that orphanage. And uh, this is what she wrote in her blog, and it was just so heart-wrenching to me. I had tears when I was reading it. I don't know if I can make it through reading it again, but I just wanted to share it with you so that you could get a feel for what is happening in Haiti and so that you can pray for us. And there is a, in your bulletins, there is a flyer. It has all our names and pictures on it, and as well as prayer requests. But here is what she wrote on her blog. Our God is not sleeping. His eyes are always on us. Nothing can touch even one hair on our head without his permission. You don't have to be afraid. Our God never sleeps. Things are pretty tough in Haiti right now. It is discouraging to see the country spiraling down with no end in sight. There is a severe gas and diesel shortage that is affecting every part of life in Haiti. 
Gas and diesel is difficult to find, at times impossible. And when you do find some, the price is marked up. It has caused the price of everything to go up. There are roadblocks all over this little country, making it impossible for us to get off the mountain. There are protests and manifestations daily in the cities. The poor are here, are tired of being used and thrown aside. They are demanding that the president step down, so life here is more difficult than it has been in many years. We as missionaries are being inconvenienced, going without a few things but, and paying more for everything. It is hard, but something that with our American passport, we can get on a plane and fly away from it. So an inconvenience, but the people we have come to love don't have that luxury. The poor are the ones who will suffer the most. They will be hungrier than they were. The children will be sicker. Some of them will die as a result of this. My heart breaks knowing how they suffer. What brought me to tears on Sunday when singing this song was the faith I see in my fellow worshipers. I saw their face shining through on their faces. This is not just an inconvenience for them. This is life and death. Families that were barely getting by, that were on the verge of malnutrition, this will cause some of them to free fall into malnutrition, illness, even death. But still, they sing and they worship with all they have. They know that God is in control, and they know that God does not sleep. Please pray. Our God will hear us, and God is not sleeping. So um, we just are going down there. with. We just want to show love to the people. We're going to have an opportunity to visit some of the poorest of the poor and be able to bring food um, and supplies to their home with some of the money that you have all donated. And so we're very thankful for that. And uh, hopefully just bring encouragement and hope to some of these people who are really the poorest of the poor. And Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. So thank you. Thanks for praying for us as we travel. Just appreciate your prayers for us this week. No, I'm sorry. We, I'm just looking back here to see Bob Vaughn and Tom Baird. And uh, would you guys just do us a favor and stand up just a minute because they have gone... Bob started this whole thing many, many years ago. Uh, Tom joined in a few years ago, but we told him once you uh, get in, turn 80, you're not allowed to go anymore. No, but that was, and that was a long time ago. No, <laughs> they, they didn't pay any attention, but we're gonna miss you guys. And we're gonna, I'm just sitting here looking at you, thinking about you and uh, the opportunity we've had to spend time with you down there and, and all, where your heart is down there. So excuse me for- yep, Thank you, thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask the elders, uh, if you're here, if you'd come up, we're gonna pray to send off this team. You know, in uh, Acts 13, they commissioned and sent out uh, uh, Paul and, uh, and uh, Barnabas, and we're gonna go ahead and, uh, we believe that this is very much a, a team effort. These are the ones going. Uh, the rest of us are here praying and contributing and sending. So short-term missions is not, or missions in general, is not just those who go. It's for everybody. So let's just pray uh, for this team. Father, I thank you uh, for the reminder from your word how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, declaring that our God reigns. And I thank you that the Apostle Paul picked up this passage from Isaiah 52, 7, and and said uh, in Romans chapter 10 the same thing, Father. And I just thank you that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? And Father, we send these folks out from our church and uh, those who aren't here that are also part of the team, we, we send them out and pray 
that your spirit would work powerfully. Go ahead of them, opening the doors, closing the eyes and the minds of those who are, would stand in their way. We pray that you'd pave the way, that you'd give them safety as they travel, that you'd give them encouragement. I pray that they, as a team, would show the love of Christ in a way that is magnetic towards those that they come to share the gospel with. I pray for each one who's done pre preparation, and I ask that their presentations and their preparation would pay off and that you would allow them to speak the truth in love, that they would show the love of Christ, give them courage and boldness to press through their fatigue, their difficulties and challenges that they may face, the ad adaptations and the adjustments to the schedule, help them to receive it with joy and gratitude, and help them to go in your power by your grace and for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. You bet. All right. And uh, I just want to say one more thing. No, I'm just kidding. I tell you what. Uh, these guys, uh, I want to challenge you all to be praying. Every day that they're gone, from now until they get back, you've got the sheet and the bulletin. All right, uh, a few things. First of all, Sunday school, you guys are dismissed, uh, so you can go ahead. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. <clears throat> I was uh, coming this morning and thought, you know what, I don't want to be too overdressed. I'll leave my tie, my coat, and my car, and these guys in the front row making me look bad. So you guys look great. You got the older generation showing up in a T-shirt like my dad. Think he's older, he can't hear. He's just kind of still talking back there. He still doesn't know I'm talking about him. Don't worry about it. Jonah chapter 3, uh, if you're there, let me read what it says in Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to, in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did uh, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story in, in Jonah. Uh, God, how Jonah went and proclaimed this message, uh, this message that people needed to turn from you and turn from their sins. And God, that message is still true today. And still same today. And God, we are on a mission. And uh, God, we want to be on that same mission uh, that we would proclaim that people need to turn to God and turn from sin. Uh, God, as uh, we read through Jonah 3 today and we see this story, uh, God, help it to impact our lives. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, we all love a comeback story, right? 
Everybody loves a good comeback story. You know, every year in sports, the NBA, the NFL, they all have their comeback player of the year. And I think it's instilled in us uh, this idea of a comeback, of a redemption. Uh, you saw a couple days ago, Oled Kupcho uh, set the world record for a marathon. Did you guys see that? Under two hours, had never been done. He ran the marathon. I mean, some of you guys couldn't run a mile in two hours. This guy went and he ran a marathon in under two hours. Now, it's not really a comeback story, but if you saw the documentary a couple of years ago, there was a documentary called Breaking Two. And I was kind of looking through and researching that, uh, that documentary. And it's the story of, of him and two other individuals. And Nike had kind of set out that they wanted to accomplish this feat under two hours. And so they started training and they started doing all these things and they were filming the whole process. And finally, the race occurred in Italy. And so they ran this race, and at the end of the race, fell short of this two-hour mark. And so they were disappointed that they couldn't reach uh, this goal they were trying to, uh, to accomplish. And so uh, Olid ran the race two days ago, and you can see as he's nearing the finish line, the time's up here, and you see him running across, and you can see the joy and excitement in his face, and everybody's celebrating what had never been accomplished before, a marathon run in under two hours. And so I saw it because about 100 people posted this on Facebook, right? Because we all love that story, story of this guy tried to accomplish it before. Now, he definitely didn't fail, you know, any of us that could accomplish what he did, but here he is now, 34, and 34 still young. But for a runner, you know, you're, you're, kind of your peak is kind of your upper 20s. And so now he's 34, he's kind of past his prime or whatever, and yet two days ago ran it in under two hours. And we love that. And I think it's because we have this idea instilled in us of a comeback, right, of a redemption story of people who maybe have failed or didn't accomplish what they're going to, but then they do accomplish it. And I think it's instilled in us because... Man, that's what God has done in us, right? He, he's redeemed us. He's bought us back in this, this comeback story. And so I love Jonah because in Jonah we get a picture of this. And listen how Jonah 3 starts. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. Right? Jonah 1, we see it. The Lord shows up. He gives this, this, this mission to Jonah. And what's Jonah do? He runs. He goes the other direction. But how awesome that we have a God that does not give up on us. We have a God that pursues us. We have a God that loves us so much that, you know what, even though we fail, even though we don't do what he tells us to do, he loves us enough that he continues to pursue us. And he's a God of second chances. Isn't that awesome that he's a God of second chances? I think most of us in this room would, would recognize that how thankful we are that he is a God of second chances. You read through some of the, the stories in the Bible and these, these great figures in the Bible, and you see stories like David, right? And David, who was an adulterer, a murderer, yet a man after God's own heart. And God used him, a God of second chances. Uh, the story of Peter, right? We know Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Jesus says to him, hey, before that rooster crows three times, you're going to deny him. He, boom, denies him, boom, denies him, boom, denies him a third time. Three times denied him, yet what does Jesus do? Jesus restores Peter, and Peter, we know, goes on, proclaims the message, the foundation of the church begins, and Peter is a huge part of that. A second chance. The story of Paul, 
right? Paul is a guy, what do he do? He murdered Christians, right? We, we see him at the stoning of Stephen. He's there and he, he probably picked up a stone, maybe a part of that. And yet God grabs him, gets a hold of his life and uses him for incredible things for his kingdom. So we love that. We love that story because, you know, we can, we can resonate with it. I mean, if God can use people like that, who have done things like that, man, that God could use us. And even in our faults and our failures and, and maybe where we've let down uh, God before, God still pursues, right? God still comes after us. God still wants us to use us for amazing things for his kingdom. And so we love that. We're drawn to that. We see stories like Jonah. We're drawn to that because we, we recognize in our own lives, at least in my life, where, man, I've, I've failed and I've maybe failed again. And yet God still loves me and God still pursues me and God still wants to use me. And what we want it to be is, is so many times our past can become an anchor. It can become an anchor that holds us back. It can be something in our life that causes us great guilt, and we feel defeated, and we're like, man, surely God cannot use someone like me. You know, the things I've done wrong or the faults I've had or maybe I haven't given God my all or pursued him like I've wanted to. And we think about our past, and we dwell on our past, and we say, surely God can't use me. Yet God doesn't want our past to be an anchor. He wants us to use it as a platform, right? That, that our past and the things we've experienced in our life, that God would use it uh, as a launching pad for his kingdom, as a launching pad that, that we would see uh, a difference made in the lives around us. I, I think of some, some recent stories uh, a few weeks ago with uh, Botham Jean, who was killed in his apartment in Dallas, right? There was an off-duty officer that walked in. She fires a shot, kills Botham Jean, this seemingly amazing man. Then a couple weeks ago, as the trial's going on, they're sentencing uh, this Amber Geiger, Botham Jean's brother on stage or on the stand and talking about, like, hey, here's what I want you to experience. I want you to know that I forgive you. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. An amazing story. Here, this young man, and I, I don't know that I'd be in that position. I, I, don't, I don't know how you would react in that, that situation. But we see the love of God. We see the love of Jesus in that young man who, man, brother killed by this woman. She's there being sentenced, and he says, you know what, I forgive you. And more importantly, Jesus loves you, and you need to know that. What a display in action and in words of the gospel, right, that I forgive you, that I love you. Second chance. I, I don't know what will become of her life as she goes to prison and uh, experiences that. But, man, to, to hear the forgiveness, to experience the forgiveness, man, we pray that God would do amazing things uh, in her life. Uh, wh what a story of second chances. Uh, and that's the God we serve, right? What does Jesus say? Jesus says 70 times 7, right? 70 times 7, forgiveness, mistakes, failures. Yet we have a God that pursues us, that continues to come after us, that wants to use us despite of our mistakes, despite of those things we've done wrong, despite of the fact that maybe we haven't pursued him and gone after him like we should have, yet he still comes after us. So we, we love the stories. We hear it. We were at uh, 
um, Faith Baptist a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, it was an event, and they were uh, doing some fundraising, but they had a couple different individuals share stories of what God had done in their life and how uh, they, Faith Baptist had been a part of it. And it was an amazing story. Well, uh, the second individual that stepped up talked about his life. He, he was not from America, and he talked about his life as a kid. Mom dies. Dad dies. Separated from his siblings. And he's wandering the streets, ended up at this orphanage eventually gets adopted, and he talks about how even in that, God was pursuing him and coming after him. An amazing story that God would use his past, right? And then the last individual that came up, she shared her experience from this past summer. She got married, went on, this, uh, went on her honeymoon to Florida, and much like Steve talking last week about that undertow, her husband gets caught in this undertow and drowns in the ocean on their honeymoon. And she's talking about her experience and what she'd been through. And she says, you know, I want, I want it to be kind of like Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her husband. But yet that was a launching pad into this ministry that she had, right? Because so many times our past and all these things we've gone through, they can be an anchor. They can hold us back and we feel guilty or miserable over what we have experienced in our lives. But God wants to use those things and wants to use our, pa- our past and what we've gone through as a launching pad. Much like she said, man, I want to be like Elizabeth Elliot. I want, I want that experience that I've gone through that I could influence others for the gospel of Jesus. And so we think about our own past and where we've been and mistakes we've made or things we've gone through. Understand that God wants to use that in our lives. God wants to use those hurts and those pains and those struggles and those failures, and he wants to use them for his kingdom. Much, much like Jonah, right? The story of Jonah is a guy that he ran from God. He, he, he ran as far as he could. He got, you know, if you look at a map, he ran in the opposite direction of where God was calling him to. And we do that sometimes. Yet, what did God do? God pursued him. He went after him. And he came to him a second time. A second time. Wanted to use him for his kingdom. So the Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Nineveh, uh, Jonah a second time. Here's what he said to him. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Here's what he wanted Nineveh to do. He wanted him to go and proclaim the message. Missio Dei. God is on a mission. Okay, God was on a mission then and God is on a mission now. And we are to be on that mission. God has called us. So this mission that God gave Jonah, guess what? It's the same mission that he's giving you today. Jonah's mission was to go and proclaim this great thing. Go and proclaim that, hey, listen, you guys need to turn to God and turn from sin. That was was the mission. That was what he was called to do. Missio Dei, God on a mission. He, he has this mission for Jonah. He has this mission for you. And we are going to proclaim, like, listen, you need to turn to God and turn from sin. It's a simple message. Now, uh, I know we're, we're going to do some evangelism training and, and would encourage you to, to partake in that, to understand it. I think one of the things that uh, as we begin to learn and understand the gospel even more uh, we, our boldness in sharing the message and the clarity in which we share it will grow. And so I would encourage you to, to be a part of that because our greatest calling in life is what Jonah was called to. Missio Dei, God is on a mission. Turn to God 
and turn from sin. That mission that, that, that God gave Jonah to proclaim to the Ninevites is the same mission that he gives us to proclaim to the world, right? To go to the ends of the earth, to all the world, proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done. Missio Dei, God is on a mission, and he wants us to be on that mission as well. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. So a little shift from chapter 1, right? Instead of running the opposite direction, God, this time Jonah obeys the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. So as I, you kind of study and you look at the city of Nineveh, a couple things you need to understand. Nineveh was one of the greatest cities and one of the greatest nations. As I read about Nineveh, uh, you're going to see in chapter 4, he makes a statement that you know, there's 120,000. There's probably more than that, actually. I read anywhere from 120 to up to a million people. Uh, Nineveh was actually four different cities. And so it's this huge place, great city, and one of the greatest nations is Nineveh. And so Nineveh was so big that they, they had a 100-foot-tall wall around the city. Just massive walls surrounding the city. And at some points, there would be 200-foot towers. And these walls and these towers were wide enough that you could have multiple chariots riding on them. So get this picture of this wall that's on there. It is a massive wall, right? Not just, you know, some little 10-foot wall trying to keep, you know, people they don't want out. This is a massive wall. Nobody's going to get in it. So massive, you could have chariots riding across it. So it's a massive wall, massive city. And so as you think about that, you think about Jonah proclaiming this message, it took him three days just to go around the city and proclaiming. Like, like all we have in here is this message he's proclaiming is like turn, from, turn to God and turn from sin, right? It was a simple message, uh, but yet he's going all over the city proclaiming this message. And here's the message that Jonah was proclaiming. Verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. So it took him a journey, a whole day to go into the city, and he's proclaiming this simple message. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Reality is, 40 days, and then you guys are done for, right? Done for. Now, I, I don't know what was proclaiming. I don't know the wickedness or evil that was going uh, taking place in Nineveh, but it's not a common thing that you see God just destroy a city. We see Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see the reason that God's uh, destroyed those cities because of their sin, because of their wickedness. But Nineveh, apparently, there's some wicked things going on. There's some evil things going on, so much so that God wants to, is going to destroy this city for their actions. So Jonah began, he goes around, day's journey in the city, and proclaims 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Luke 11.30, Jesus talking, he says, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The message for Jonah the Ninevites was simple. Turn to God and turn from sin. And Jesus' message was the same, right? Turn to God and turn from sin. First and foremost, the gospel message is about a relationship with Jesus, right? First and foremost, to know Jesus, to understand who he is and what he has done. First and foremost, that we know that. The first thing that that we do is not that, hey, we're not looking for behavioral change, right? 
you need to quit doing that or quit doing that. Now, you do, but what do you need to do first? You need to know and understand Jesus. And only when we know and we understand and understand it's a relationship and the power of the gospel. Now, we need to proclaim the message to turn from sin, but they need to understand who Jesus is first, right? And they need to just understand uh, the, the message, just like Jonah, turn to God and turn from sin. I think repentance starts in the head and leads to the heart. It starts in the head and leads to the heart. You have to understand first before you can believe. And so that's what Jonah wants them to understand. Okay, he's, he's walking through and he's on this mission from God and he's telling them, turn to God and turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your evil. I, I remember... Um, Two years ago, and, and I had the opportunity, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, her husband was dying, and uh, his name was Jeff, and, and he was dying of cancer, and I, I had known Jeff, I, I hadn't known him well, but ran across him several times and got to spend a little time with him, but at this point in his life, they hadn't given him a whole lot of time to live, and met, went and, and began to, to meet with Jeff, and began to pray with Jeff, began to talk with Jeff, and we began to talk about Jesus, and what, what was exciting during that time, and uh, as we talked about, you could see a change going on in, in, in Jeff's heart and his life. And he, went, he grew up in the church, and he, he went to church as a young man. He was baptized in high school, uh, but then his life changed a little bit. And I, I asked Jeff one time, I said, Jeff, what's, what's your favorite story in the Bible? He says, I, I, you know what, my favorite story is the story of Jonah. I love the story of Jonah. And so we started talking about the story of Jonah, and you know, like I said, Jeff, the story of Jonah kind of parallels your life a little bit, right? I mean, so Jonah, here he is. He's a man of God. He's a prophet. He's following God, and then he turns his back, right? He runs in the opposite direction. And I'm like, Jeff, you, you have done that, right? And he had. But yet at the end of Jeff's life, as he's faced with the trials and the tribulations and the struggles that he's going through, he turned back to God. And he's seeing the life of, of Jonah and what he's suffering through and in, in the belly of the fish where God got a hold of him. He turned back to God. He repented and he was restored and he gets on this mission. Now what's a, a little depressing is as you look at Jonah 4, I don't really necessarily enjoy how the book ends. I don't want to be a spoiler. Steve can do that next week. But like, you know, Jonah almost relapses. He sees God do this incredible thing and he relapses. And again, I'm reminded of my own life as I look at Jonah. But I remember talking to Jeff because I'm like, Jeff, man, this is just like Jonah. Experienced this storm in his life and yet that storm caused him to turn back to God. In the same way, man, same for you. That in this trial, in this tribulation, this storm of life, that you too would turn back to God. And it was an amazing thing praying with him and, and going through those final months of his life and seeing him turn back to God. He'd experienced it before, and he ran from him and did his own thing and then ultimately turned back. And God will use that. God will use those trials and those tribulations, and when we turn our back and then begin, right, that that, that past is not an anchor, but it's a launch pad into what God wants to do in and through you for his kingdom for his mission. So Jonah gives this. Jonah began a whole day's journey, preaches this message, 40 more days, and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And then here's how Nineveh responds. 
Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I love their response, right? Because we can respond one or two ways. As, as we are on the mission and we proclaim this turn to God, turn from sin, people can respond one or two ways, can't they? They can, they can turn to God and turn from their sin or they can just keep on doing what they're doing. And we can't control that, right? We can pray for people and we can share the message and we can, like that Brant Gene, the brother of Botham Gene, we can live it out and we can preach it, right? With our mouth and with our actions, we can do that. But ultimately, how people respond is not up to us. And so Jonah proclaims this message and now the Ninevites have one or two ways in which they can respond. They can just keep doing what they're doing, living in their wicked ways, living in their evil ways, and then God's going to destroy the city. Or they can do what they did here. They put on sackcloth and ashes. And, and when you see this, the sackcloth and ashes, it's a sign of mourning. Right? They're mourning. They're distraught. And I think that's a response, right? When we encounter God and we encounter maybe our, our own sin in light of the holiness of God, like, there should be mourning. And that's how they respond. They see it in the sackcloth and ashes. I am wrong. I have wronged you, Right? I think of Isaiah in the presence of God, and he, he, he's in the holiness of God, and he's like, woe is me. Like, that's the response, and that's the Ninevites' response. Sackcloth and ashes, we should mourn over our sin. We should mourn over our wickedness, our evil ways that we've done. That's how they responded. They, they, they're confronted with their sin, and they, they mourn over their sin. And they fasted and prayed, right? He told them, like, nobody or no animal or no thing is going to eat or drink. Like we are going to fast and pray that God would change his heart towards Nineveh. Fast and pray. I love the response. So there's a mourning and then there's a fasting and praying and turning to God and asking him. Uh, and so there's, there's kind of two responses I, I think that, that could take place, right? Sometimes when people are encountered with their wrongdoing, they can feel bad about it, right? They can say, you know what? It's almost like I was caught, I was wrong, I understand. Or there can be that true mourning over what they've done wrong. I want to read a verse in, in 2 Corinthians, because I, I think there's a difference. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. In other words, there, there's two reactions when confronted with sin, confronted with wrongdoing. Like we can feel bad because we were caught, right? Oh yeah, I did something wrong. We, 
like this with my kids sometimes, not, not you, Ava, but with Kate and, and Emery. Like they're caught, right? And so then they're like, they feel bad because they were, they were caught in what they did. But it's not true repentance. True repentance is I'm confronted with my sin and I'm like, I'm like the Ninevites here, right? Sackcloth and ashes, I mourn. I feel bad because, you know, I've wronged God. Not just because I was caught, but be, I've wronged God. And they're mourning over that and they're fasting and praying. And there's the difference in that. Like worldly grief, you might be sorry for your sin. You might be afraid of the consequences, but you keep on doing what you're doing. But godly grief is different. Godly grief is like the Ninevites. You're broken over the sin and it manifests change in your life. Right? You, you truly are mourning. You truly are turning to God. You truly want to change. And Ninevites, they had godly grief. They believed and the key is repented. They changed. They got rid of their evil ways. They got rid of their wicked ways. They were confronted with their sin. They turned to God and they turned from their evil ways. A godly grief over what they had done. In uh, Matthew 12, 41, it says, The men of Nineveh, Nineveh will stand up and at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And so we see, even in Matthew, Jesus tells us, hey, you know what? They repented. Jonah preached. They heard the message in mourning, sackcloth and ashes. They mourned. They felt a grief, a godly grief over their sin. And because of that, they will stand in judgment with this generation. What an amazing, amazing thing. They, they heard the message and they changed because of it. They turned from their evil ways and God showed mercy. Verse 10, we see God's response to this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God sees their response. God sees they had turned, and he relents. And we're going to see in chapter 4, Jonah's like, I knew you would do that, God, because you're compassionate. You are a compassionate God. You are a loving God. We serve a God, we follow a God that loves us so much that even even in spite of our, our failures and, and where we've let him down in our sin, yet he still pursues us. And we see that even in the cross, right? Like the Ninevites didn't deserve it, did they? I, I, you look and, and surely their wickedness and their evil ways, you're like, no way. They don't deserve God's love. And we are no different than that. We didn't deserve it either. We don't deserve God's love. Yet as we look at the cross and we think about the bread and the juice, we're reminded, I, I didn't deserve God's love, yet he pursued me. He went after me. He chased me so much he gave me his son, Jesus. That's how much he loves me. Just like the Ninevites and just like Jonah, turn to God, turn from sin. It's the same for us. Man, turn to God and turn from sin. I remember talking to Jeff, and uh, we were talking about preparing for his funeral and what he wanted to share. And one of the things he wanted to share was the story of Jonah, because it's it's such a picture of Jesus. Jonah is such a picture of Jesus that as you proclaim the message, 
You proclaim who Jesus is. We, we can see it in the life of Jonah. We go back even to Jonah chapter 1, and, and Steve shared about Jonah chapter 1, the story in it, when, when Jonah is on the boat. He's on the boat, and this great storm comes up, right? The great storm comes up, and Jonah knows that the only way those on the boat would be saved if he is thrown overboard. If he would be thrown into the waves, thrown into the ocean, thrown into the storm, then everyone on the boat would be saved. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, one greater than Jonah is here. And he's referring to himself. He says, I'm the true Jonah. And he meant this, someday I'm going to calm all the storms, still all the waves. I'm going to destroy destruction going to break brokenness, kill death. And how can he do it? He can do it because he was the one on the cross. He was thrown willingly, like Jonah, into the ultimate storm, under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus, who was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm wasn't calmed until he was swept away. We take the bread and the juice to remember Jesus was the ultimate Jonah. Jesus was thrown into that ultimate storm, right, on the cross, on the cross. Destruction. Just like Jonah threw himself willingly so everyone on that boat would be saved, that's what Jesus has done for us. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Willingly, he went to the cross so we could be saved. And do you know that? Do you understand that? That's what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for this story in Jonah chapter 3. God, as we look at it, we want to understand that, God, no matter the mistakes that we've made, no, no matter the sin in our life, that you have pursued us and you've gone after us, even to the point of Jesus going to the cross, giving up his life so that we may have eternal life. We may have new life. We may know the Father. God, help us to be different and live life different because of what Jesus has done for us, how he willingly gave up his own life. And then God, because of that, we want to be on a mission. Like Jonah was called to share this message of turn to God and turn from your sin. God, we want to be on that same mission to proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done and how people need him and how they should turn from their sin. Uh, God, we, this morning, as we take the bread and the juice, we remember Jesus who gave his life willingly on the cross for us. What a gift and what a thing you have done for us. It's in his name we pray, amen. Jesus' death provides forgiveness, freedom from sin. And it's a one-time thing. If we accept it, we can be forgiven. But then every week we have an opportunity to come together just to look again on what Jesus has done. And you know, just because we have accepted that gift 
does not mean that we don't still sin, uh, that we don't still need that forgiveness. So now is a chance uh, all over again to repent and to acknowledge our need for him.